My name is Josh. I'm glad you're here. Um, <laughs> I've been doing talks at St. Paul's for just over a year, and I, th- I think that God is not without a sense of humor. He usually um, ends up teaching me what I'm supposed to be talking about before I, I get up here and talk about it. And sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's <laughs> sometimes it's not. Um, Tonight's topic is the last fruit of the Spirit, which is not love or joy or peace. It's self-control. So I got the email, you know, self-control. I'm thinking, all right, here we go. Something's going to happen. This week I can feel it. Um, And sure enough, he gives me plenty of opportunities to exercise self-control in my week. Most of you know I'm a teacher at high school. And uh, last week I had a a conference with a parent um, and their naughty child. And we were talking for about five or ten minutes, and I wasn't really getting anywhere with the parent. Finally, she just looked at me and said, well, maybe your lessons are just boring. I was like, practice self-control, practice self-control. Um, so <laughs> while, it might not be, um, while it might not be a great thought to practice self-control, um, that is one of the fruits of the spirits that Paul talks about uh, in Galatians. So we will be kind of talking about that tonight. Um, and if you want to, please take the next few seconds to grab a, a Bible from the back if you don't have one. We're going to be in Galatians for a very short period of time, and then we're going to move to 1 Corinthians um, and really kind of get into hopefully what Paul is talking about when he says self-control. Um, and trying to just get that stereotype out of your way. I think, you know, when I, when I heard self-control, you just think it's going to be about restricting everything that I want to do. And I think Paul tries to paint a different picture about that. Um, so we're just going to kind of listen to, to how Paul's going to talk to us about self-control and just try to take that in as from what he says and try not to think about how, how you would interpret that word to mean. But just a few quick things about Galatians. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about, in general, all the fruits of the Spirit. And David Parker last week, he, he did a great talk. And his, his talk was in, I think it was in the Proverbs or the Psalms, and it was on a list of things. And it's kind of the same thing with the fruits of spirit. They're a list. And I just want to just want to start off by giving you a little a little thing about lists. Whenever you see lists in the Bible, even though they may might seem a little boring because it's just a list of things, think about the first thing that is said and the last thing that's said, kind of like bookends. And that doesn't mean the middle stuff is less important, but oftentimes I think the authors are trying to make a point with the first bit and the last bit. For example, if you read in Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, peace, kindness, goodness, and gentleness, and self-control. The first one is love, okay? Last one is self-control. I think when we talked last time, we made kind of a, one of Paul's big points was that, look, if you want to keep the law, all you have to do to fulfill it is love. Love your neighbor. You don't have to take out your checklist and take everything off. So I don't think it's surprising that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And as you kind of read through that list, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you kind of get the sense that those are kind of similar things. And then you get to the end of it, and the last thing that he says is a fruit of the Spirit is self-control, which seems kind of restricting. It seems kind of different. Um, And that word just simply means to restrain your passions or appetites. Okay, and I guess the obvious point from that that he is making is that sometimes your natural self it needs to be restraint, okay, or needs to have restraint. And I think that this is definitely countercultural. I, I think that in our culture we're kind of taught the opposite that you know if it if if it's 
If you want it, if you want to, if it's what your heart desires, if it's what you feel like doing, go ahead and do it. And I think Scripture would have a warning just in general about that. And it even says in one place that, you know, your heart is actually deceitful sometimes. And so I think just Paul adds that to, to the list of the fruits of the Spirit to remind us of that. Sometimes that fruit of the Spirit is going to keep us, restrain us from doing the things that our heart wants to do because they're not the right things. Um, and then in verse 24... He kind of takes it to the next level. And he's talking to Christians here. So Christians in the room just kind of get this picture because he uses strong language as he often does. In verse 24 of chapter 5 in Galatians, he says, um, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And as you know, crucified is a strong word. Okay, it means to take a stake and drive it through something. And basically what he's saying is essentially, look, if you're a Christian, that natural man inside of you that is bent towards sin has been nailed essentially to the cross like Jesus was. And it is in the process of dying, but it's not dead yet. Right? It's not dead yet. In the process of is not there yet. Therefore, we have to sometime exercise self-control or restraint. Okay, um, and I think the way Paul uh, talks about this is is absolutely amazing, um, and this is where we're going to be in First Corinthians probably for the rest of the time. But he paints a picture for uh, for us, and he uses this idea of self control, and he talks about really kind of like the Olympic Games, being an athlete in the Olympic Games, and it's a great illustration for now, obviously because the Olympic Games are coming to London soon. Um, but for the people in Corinth. They were no stranger to the Olympic Games. It was existing at that time. There were many games like it around. And so when Paul is using this um, this illustration, they would be very familiar with it. Um, and so I just want to talk very quickly about, about some things about athletes. And we're going to apply this idea to self-control to, to athletic games and athletes. And first of all, I want to say, um, quite obviously, that athletes compete to win. And oftentimes, especially in something like the Olympics that only comes around every four years, they do whatever it takes to win their event. Okay? Case in point, we'll see if how good you are in your Olympic trivia. There should be an Olympic athlete appearing on the screen. All right. Anybody anybody know? Michael Phelps. Some have said, I think, six gold medals in the Athens Olympics and then like eight in Beijing. I mean, unbelievable swimmer. Some have said maybe the greatest um, athlete, Olympic athlete of all time. Of course, he's American. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I bet, I bet Michael Phelps, I bet he competes to win. I mean, he's just not out there swimming, okay? He wants the gold medal. And, I, and some of you have probably maybe heard this before. I got it from the BBC. But what he does, okay, in, in order to train to get ready is unbelievable. Okay, it's absolutely unbelievable. So when we think about this idea of self-control, I want you to think about this in kind of the Michael Phelps context, okay? Um, first of all, of course, Olympic athlete is going to train, okay? Well, this guy trains six hours a day. That's training, okay? Six hours a day, six days a week, all right? And he's been, he's been quoted as saying, you know, if it falls on my birthday or Christmas day or holiday, it doesn't matter, I'm going to train six days a week. He swims on average about eight miles a day when he's training. And I'm just thinking, I don't think I walk eight miles a day during the week. And this guy's swimming eight miles when he trains. Okay? But you would expect an Olympic athlete to, 
to exercise control over themselves in training. You'd expect that, right? They have to be in physical condition. However, if you think about it, that self-control has to go to all aspects of their life, right? I mean, in order to do that kind of physical exercise, you need a lot of food, right? You need a lot of calories. You need a lot of energy. And so this guy also, with his diet, is unbelievable what he, he kind of makes himself do. And I, I think that this is a real workout as well. Just take a listen. This is amazing. This is Michael Phelps' diet, okay? It's like a paragraph. Just t- check this out. Remember, this is every day when he's training, okay? For breakfast, three fried egg sandwiches with cheese, tomatoes, and lettuce, and fried onions, and mayonnaise, <laughs> three chocolate chip pancakes, a five-egg omelet, not done with breakfast yet. Three co- three sugar-coated slices of French toast, a bowl of porridge, and two cups of coffee. That's breakfast. For lunch, half a kilogram or one pound of pasta, two large ham and cheese sandwiches with mayonnaise on white bread and energy drinks. Now dinner. Half a kilogram of pasta, another pound of pasta with sauce, <laughs> a large pizza, and energy drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Halfway there. Um, I've totally forgot what I'm supposed to say next. Thank you, uh, Mike, Michael Phelps. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 th- but think about the the amount of control you would have to have over yourself just to make yourself eat that, and then to swim eight miles in that. I mean, think about that, and, and think about how much rest you would have to take to recover from that. I mean, all aspects of his life, he, he has brought himself under control, in a sense. Okay? So just, just, get, get, just let that soak in for a minute. He's, he's brought himself under control. And by the way, you know why he does all of that? You know what his goal is? A little gold medal. Now, it's a great thing, don't get me wrong. I'm not belittling it, but in ten years, is anyone really going to care? Maybe not so much. Okay? Why, why did I say that? Okay, let's move over to the passage, okay? Keep, keep this idea of kind of self-control in mind. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27. you got the Gospels, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. We'll just read the passage and just be thinking about that as I read it. And then we're going to go back and kind of pull out some points from the passage. Verse 24 of chapter 9. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Beloved, (laughs) this is us. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Michael Phelps sure does in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave. I don't think it could have said it any stronger. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Uh, this was quite convicting to me when I was reading Michael Phelps' uh, exercise routine and his, his eating habits when I was reading this. Uh, verse 24 and 25 again. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way 
as to receive the prize. And I just wonder to myself, do I live in such a way that I look at my Christian life as a race and am I in it to win or am I in it just to finish? Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things and then do it. Then They do that to receive a perishable prize, but we an imperishable. Um, and I just had to think about myself as a... Do I exercise self-control in all things to receive a prize? And I was thinking about this, you know, Paul says that we receive a prize, but what is exactly does he mean? I mean, Michael Phelps is going to win a medal. As Christians, what are we going to win? You know, and as you read Scripture, you will see, first of all, that we, there is rewards for people who run and finish the race. And that should be motivating to us. But that reward, I think, may not be intangible things. In fact, I kind of think that the greatest gift, the greatest reward that God can give to a Christian is actually Himself in Christ. And I think that if we could just kind of get that glimpse is that when we get to be with God forever, it is going to be the most enjoyable thing in the universe just to be in the presence of the Lord. That's our prize and we get that. And the crazy thing is is we we're definitely not training like that. And yet we get so much more. If we take a look at verse 26, it says, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. And again, you can just hear kind of the, uh, the athletic kind of things that he's talking about. I run in such a way as not without aim. And I had to ask myself, what is the aim of my life? Do, am I conscious every day that I have got to aim? You know, Hebrews says, run the race that's marked out from us. You know, we all have a race in this life, in this Christian life, and it's marked out for us. We have a purpose. And I just wonder sometimes, are we keeping that specific purpose in our mind? A talk this morning, at, uh, at least at 11 o'clock, was about spiritual gifts. And it was saying, you know, everyone has got a gift. Everyone does. And I wonder if we just keep that in mind. The second part of that verse, it says, I box in such a way as not beating the air. And it's strange to think if maybe an Olympic boxer who's put all those hours in uh, to train, just like the swimmers have, but all that that boxer does is he, he never bothers to actually step in the ring. He just shadow boxes the whole time. And he achieves nothing. He spends all that time, all that energy, all that thought power into training. It doesn't actually do the thing which he's intended to do. And I think Paul's point is clear is that I think so much of our time is spent on things that are not really for eternity. You know, I think back in university how much time I used to spend just sitting playing computer games. I mean, just hours and hours of waste of time. And not that those things are always bad, but once again, do I have a focus and an aim in my life? And am I pouring my energy and time out to things that are going to be for eternity? Verse 27. A couple, couple very interesting words in this verse. Um, verse 27 says, But I discipline my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified. And I think this whole idea of self-control is really contained in in kind of this verse um, about disciplining disciplining your body. And that's a really funny word. The word actually means to to hit someone in the eye. Strange. So definitely not saying go out and hit yourself in the eye if not doing what you should do. But... um, When I was thinking about that to my own life, and Paul is saying, discipline your body, making it your slave, I, I just thought in so many things, it seems like I am actually a slave to what my body wants. Like I, I wake up in the morning, I'm tired, and my body says, 
you're going to drink a cup of coffee. And I say, you know, yes, sir, I'm off to the coffee. And it seems like Paul saying that should be the other way around. And the last part of that verse, it says, So after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Another athletic term. I mean, for an athlete to train and put in all this work and all this sweat to get to the race only to be disqualified because they weren't able to discipline their body would just be a horrible thing. And I think the application for us is absolutely clear um, about what that would mean. So kind of just some thoughts to think about, um, some self-control. We kind of went through the passage and brought out some points, but just to kind of share some things, I guess, from my heart and my life um, about about self-control. I think there's kind of two ways to look at it. Uh, One kind of the more positive side is that I think that we as Christians have to be, have to practice discipline in order to do things. In other words, there's going to be some things that our flesh doesn't want us to do, and we have to practice that self-control to do them. Praying regularly, reading the scripture. If you're married, praying with your spouse. If you have kids, praying and reading with your kids. You know, the flesh doesn't want us to do those things. And sometimes we have to exercise that self-control to do them. And then obviously, probably what we think about more when we hear self-control is our flesh wants to do things and we have to have self-control to go against that. Um, I, was, I was talking to my, my wife about this a couple of days ago and she said something that stuck in my mind. And uh, I don't want to, you know, bring out everyone's skeletons from their closets. But um, one of the things that she says is that you have to be really careful what comes out of your mouth and what goes into your eyes. And I think that that is just, that is absolutely perfect in, in capturing, as a Christian, a lot of issues with self-control. Is we have to watch what comes out of our mouth. Because we can, we can speak, we can almost, God can speak life, we can almost speak life into someone about what we say. And we can almost, kill, just about kill someone with what we say. And also the eyes, and um, uh, you know, I may be speaking to the guys here, ladies. I'm sorry, but what men, what we put into our eyes, um, is just is absolutely devastating. As as you know, um, it is so easy to look at things on, on the television or the internet. It's just absolutely destructive. And, and if I can just say, uh, with the whole pornography issue, um, if you're married, that's the quickest way to absolutely ruin your marriage. And if you're not married yet, that's the quickest way to absolutely ruin your marriage. And it is such a prevalent thing. And as Christians, that is one huge area that we have got to start putting things in place to have self-control. And just continue with our athletic analogy. Um, You know, a lot of events in the Olympics are not single-player sports. A swimming might be, but... You know, tennis certainly isn't. Football certainly isn't. A lot of things are team sports. And I think when we think about this idea of self-control, don't think of it as something you have to go alone. Okay, You need a teammate in that, especially those things that we talked about. You need to get people around you that, number one, you trust. Okay, You don't need to just open up your heart to anyone and everyone. But you need to get people around you that you trust, that you can confess these things to, and that they can pray for you. The Scripture says when you confess things to one another and they pray for you, you're healed from them. So that last point on that is just, you know, understand that it's not to be it's not to be tried alone. Get a teammate for these kinds of things. Um, Michael Phelps has a, has a quote after he won his eleventh um, gold medal. He says, "Eat, 
sleep, and swim. That's all I can do. And when he said that, I kind of thought, you know, Paul kind of said something similar to that in Corinthians. He says, whether you eat or whether you drink, and I guess whether you swim or (laughs) whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And I guess my point is that when we when we exercise self-control as that fruit of the spirit, when we exercise those things, don't just think of it as just something that you have to do so that you're not just doing the wrong things. Think about it as as an activity that is going to give glory to God because there is a purpose in you activating self-control in your life. There's a purpose in that and when you do it, it gives glory to the Lord. So what I, what I kind of like to do now is just um, is just kind of wrap up and pray. And I just want to kind of reread some of the things that Paul talked about in that passage. Um, and I want us just to be thinking about, because this is kind of a tough word to hear, hear self-control, um, to have to restrain my appetites and my passions. But just let God speak to you where you are about that. Wherever that may be. So if we can just once again kind of close our eyes. Um, and we're going to be quiet again for a few seconds. I said we don't like quiet. I'm just going to kind of read some of those things again. And I just want us to think about those things. Father, I just pray that um, you, by your Spirit, that you would just come and just speak to us about this, this fruit of the Spirit, Lord. It's a difficult thing to hear, but we need to have this fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We're believers. Father, I pray just right now by your spirit that you come and just convict us of what we need to do. And um, I pray, God, that you help us to understand that we should be in the, in the race, not just to finish, but to win. I pray, God, that you help us to exercise self-control in all things. And I pray that you help us to know that you are the greatest prize in the universe, you yourself. I pray you change the way we think about you. God, I pray that we ask ourselves if we have a purpose or an aim in our life. And if we don't, I pray we get one. God, I pray that there are some things in our lives that we decide to cut out after tonight because they're just wasted time and energy on things that aren't going to last for eternity. And God, I pray, last of all, you help us to understand how we can discipline our body to do the things of the Spirit, not the flesh. And God, finally, I just, I just want to pray for our mouths and I want to pray for our eyes. And God, I just pray we repent of speaking the things that we speak and seeing the things that we see. We just want to repent of that. And I just pray that you give us a desire to change. I pray you give us a desire to ask uh, men and women into our lives that will hold us accountable to these things, that we would ask forgiveness from spouses and people that we've hurt, that there would be reconciliation. And I just pray that you give us just a, a passion for you in our hearts and our minds. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.